This is episode 26, The Slumber Party Massacre, part 3. I'm your host, Mike, the Red Herring, or am I the Driller Killer? You'll just have to listen to find out. But welcome one and all to October, the most wonderful time of the year. Halloween, certainly my favorite holiday associated with movies because I love horror films. And today, my unofficial co-host, Brian Late Night Rodriguez, and I have watched not just this installment, but all three Slumber Party Massacre movies and we've spread them across this show and High School Slumber Party over on Brian's feed, much like earlier this spring when we covered the Prom Night movies together. Man, this franchise was such a blast. I want to get right to the show, but first, there's a little business to discuss in the form of a new part three. Part three. I don't know how much longer this segment will last, but since it's October and Halloween is right around the corner, I know I'm going to be rewatching one of my favorite modern horror movies, Happy Death Day. And you bet your ass I'm also going to watch Happy Death Day too. However, it's a shame I won't also, also be watching Happy Death Day 3, simply because it doesn't exist, and it doesn't seem to be any sign of it existing anytime soon. And that's a shame, because those movies are great. They're so much fun. I love them. Uh, and after The Edge of Tomorrow, I'd say it's probably my favorite use of the Groundhog's Day formula. That'll do it for No Part 3. No! Part 3. And now, without any further ado, grab your favorite sleeping bag, tell your mother you're sleeping over Mike's house, because the slumber party's right here tonight. Hello, and welcome to Mike and the Mets with my baseball consultant, Brian Rodriguez. Brian, how are you tonight? I mean, depending on when you're listening to this, either very, very happy, but likely, likely very disappointed. Uh. I mean, let's just get way off topic at the start of the show first, but I, this summer, have become a huge Mets fan, and as soon as I tell people that, they instantly say, oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) But you know my newfound love of the team is genuine, and I've just been having a blast uh, watching these past few games, seeing them try and uh, grab that spot. It's certainly been a dramatic ride indeed and just like being a Mets fan is always a very dramatic ride I like this team though I like the the players and it's a very exciting team it's just unfortunately they've run into a lot of bad luck at the end of games otherwise they would be in the position and they could really beat anyone on any given day but it is a very it's very stressful to a Mets fan I don't recommend it so like following them I'm now watching other games too you know what I'm saying like I just like having it on again and having it on in the background so uh gotta get to a game one day together that'll be a lot of fun oh uh, yeah a field, definitely a field trip or something I feel like naturally, even though it wasn't something you'd experienced before this season, naturally you're a Mets fan because, you know, I know you well enough in what you enjoy in films and you are a fan of the underdog. <laughs> yes, and I, and I feel like this series that we're on right now is uh, a true underdog <laughs> of the series, you know, but we're here on Third Time's a Charm, actually. This is the actual show, not talking baseball or anything, but I'm here with Brian Rodriguez once again, the unofficial co-host of the show. Thank you for showing up tonight. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. You know, this is a big project we're doing right here, so I'm excited excited to hop on the third times, as usual. That's right. So in case you haven't been following along yet this season, um, Brian and I are sort of doing what we do every once in a while is this crossover event whenever a high school film gets to part three, I guess, so far. That's where we're going. Um, We'll sort of split it up and and cover all those movies on both of our shows. And uh, had a lot of fun earlier in the year with the Prom Night series, the Fast and Furious series, which actually spanned three shows, which was also Yours, Mine, and Too Fast, Too Forever. And uh, now here we are again talking about the Slumber Party Massacre series, and we are at part three over here, Slumber Party Massacre 3. Oh, man. Brian, what a ride. How are you doing so far? Uh, I'm doing good. Um, As we mentioned on High School Slumber Party last Friday, where we talked about the Slumber Party Massacre, or like the first one, um, you and I kind of watched all these three movies in a row. So maybe it's a little jumbled, I don't know, but they're all 
three distinct films. And and we'll remind you at the end of the episode, but you can you can catch two tomorrow on High School Slumber Party. But it's the third of the month. We're doing the three right now. And honestly, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> no, no, to be quite honest, it doesn't. And I mean, we might reference part two a little bit. I, I think we mentioned on part one that you can watch two and three sort of out of order and still get the same gist, you know, the idea of it all. So, I mean, let's get into it. This movie has two cuts, two different versions. I watched both versions. So the Blu-ray that I got in the extended edition, it's kind of interesting because it'll cut to a lower definition footage. So it'll go from high def to standard def whenever there's deleted scenes or, de- or extra footage. So it was really easy to keep track that way of what was in and out of the movie. But I decided to watch it again today just to see how it played theatrically. And oh boy, it's inc- like they hacked it to pieces really i am i am shocked that there's anything left in this movie but what are your general impressions of the slumber party massacre part three brian unlike you i thought um i could just rent this on amazon because the first two are on prime and i watch them like let me look for three wasn't there so i even texted you like the morning i watched and i'm like how did you see this and i ended up finding it on youtube so my entire version which I'm not sure which version I saw, to be completely honest with you, but my entire version was not in standard definition. Whew, this this one was interesting. Certainly plays differently than the other films. I think I might have saw the short one because I do have some questions, like some unresolved things in this film. By the way, I don't know if you caught it, but another movie in the Slumber Party Massacre series where the people on the poster are not in the film. I don't know why. Yes. I don't know why they like to do this. <laughs> Tradition at this point. <laughs> uh, but one of the positives I have to say, though, it fits in with the series that I'm doing on High School Slumber Party. Not just because the Slumber Party Massacre series, but also written and directed by women. And I, we've mentioned it throughout, but this is something that's amazing. This is one of, if not the only horror series where every film is directed by a woman and written by a woman. So for that, I give it props. But again, let's just say it wasn't my favorite in the series. No, I mean, it's definitely not my favorite. I'd say I I like it second. I'd say I go one, three, two. And two, it's not that I don't like it. I just think it it has different problems. Um, I'll just say that and, and leave the rest for that episode. But yeah, you know, this was a shock again, because the whole female-centric everything here, like the whole female-centric vibe the, from behind the scenes and in front of the scenes, like I, I don't even think a woman has directed a Friday the 13th movie. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think a woman's directed a Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, it's it's like that chauvinistic. And, I, you know, now we know that it was like somewhat intentional, right? Like at the times and everything, there was just a boys club. And, you know, we get into this a lot, I feel, on Cinemakers when Kara was on for our Amy Heckerling series. And it was just like all of the art and the perspective we've been denied throughout the years, you know, stuff like the Slumber Party Massacre series, which just gives you a different view of the same material, right? Like people are always complaining like oh everything's the same everything's a remake everything's this well it's like well why don't you give the material to the woman this time and like it will be different you know what i'm saying like or anybody except for the same old same old so it's a very refreshing series you know warts and all like i really embrace these three movies like you know even if i don't love them all like i really endorse them and i think everyone should check them out Yeah, and uh, we've been mentioning this throughout, but just for your third times, listeners, it's one of these series that I think if you're into horror, overall, especially like the slasher or even like the camp horror, I don't know, you know more about me about what genre this technically belongs in, but if you're a fan of just that vein of films, it's a pretty decent and at least very fun series. You're not going to really get too bored and just for the fact of like when it came out what is this one 1990 so you have between 1982 and 1990 you have a completely female directed and written series and just for its own merits if you're a fan of horror it's essential it's essential i think and it's really cool too because like that it almost spans like that whole decade and it's really each movie makes different comments on the times you know and it's really interesting how they're all even these they're all the same story but they're all so different too like stylistically you know visually and they all do their their thing to it and what, what i noticed going in starting with part two and continuing with part three and something that we weren't sure about with the first one these are full-on camp you know this is these two and three are satires are meant to be sort of more comedic 
you know horror films the first one i think it was like the it was written to be sort of more sat- satirical but it was directed more seriously yeah uh, some something along those lines and it was a really interesting combination i felt it worked really well i think one thing that this one does different than the second one is it really reintroduced the gore like uh you know there's a lot of like pretty brutal kills there's a very high body count i feel like that was sort of missing from the second one a little bit and we'll go into the second one on that episode more but you're absolutely right this one is would you say the goriest of the series yeah i i'd say especially the extended cut which I watched, uh, there is a lot of drilling and, and stabbing, and, and there's a lot that they cut out as far as gore. So if you watch that extended cut, you know, you're, you'll be satiated with all that. No, for sure. And one thing I, do, I want to really mention, as you mentioned, this extended cut, if you're out there and you haven't seen this series and you're like, do I want to devote my time to this entire series? All these movies are short. The longest version of any of these movies is the extended cut you're talking about of this one. Yeah, I don't think any of the theatrical cuts are over like an hour and 15 minutes or something like that. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. And it's, that's another thing that's so great, right? Like they're so economically made, like they're so, it's just the, it's, it's just all that, you, it's the only the essentials of what you need for the ingredients to make this movie, you know, and they're not bogged down with bullshit. And I think maybe that's something that the women brought to it, right? Is that they're not sort of like marinating in their own sort of, I don't know, egos or whatever, or they're not like, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes you watch a movie, and I mean, I, and even in horror, I feel like this happens a lot too, because everyone thinks they're an auteur at one point, and when you're making like a low-budget horror film, that's not the time to really like, you know, sort of like die on hills for certain decisions, 100%, exactly, right? 100%. And I don't get any of that here. This is just, all this is like lean, mean, and to the bone, and and that helps like a great deal. Yeah, and that's an interesting comment, Mike. And I think you're 100% right. Look, I'm you know, and maybe your audience doesn't know, but if they don't know this by now about me, they haven't been listening to your show or my show, that I'm not the horror expert. However, I obviously know a lot of the work of the great horror directors. And it does seem like once it becomes about them, and once their ego takes over, the quality of the film kind of fades off a little bit we start to see it too much and so there is an appeal to this series that while yes it's all directed by women they're all different women and that never like takes over for what we're watching we're just watching as you said the three similar stories being told differently by what are three different people and it's something i do again appreciate about the series now the people involved with this one so the writer Catherine Kyran, and then the director is Sally Madison. I I looked them up, and unfortunately, they didn't really go on to do anything of note like we got the first in the first series you know where Mm -hmm. the director went on to write like these huge hollywood movies and everything and they worked you know but mostly within this same sort of genre within this realm within this sort of grade i guess of uh of feature however like i think that they really understand this material and have a lot of fun with it and i'm having a lot of fun with this movie so let's sort of dive into the movie itself now what were some of your favorite moments where would you like to start when it, when you think back on this movie from what you can remember when you try and pull it apart from all the other movies what comes to mind well mike you're gonna have to help me with this because i watched this movie twice and i, <laughs> I can't remember anyone's name or anything like that <laughs> I, I think right away what pulled me from this i was like am i watching the right film was this one begins on that beach right yeah the empty beach <laughs> <laughs> did you read about that in the trivia no, no. So that's why I'm glad you're here because I don't really devote any, not, I just don't go into like the trivia and anything like that. I really didn't have the time. So enlighten me. I try not to, but I figure with these movies, since I know nothing about them, it's good to just educate me as like the horror novice. I'm glad you picked up that the beach was empty because they shot this in like the dead of winter in January. God, those poor <laughs> kids. They had these young actors out there in like bikinis and stuff. And apparently it was freezing. Oh, oh man. And the other doing is playing volleyball the whole scene literally the whole scene is playing volleyball maybe it's a callback to the first one in the basketball i'm not sure (laughs) yeah it's volleyball i do like this part again especially seeing it twice and though i didn't remember their their names you do get to meet more of the principals now you know like in a play where early on you meet everyone at like a party or something and then they all become things seeing it twice really like enlightened me like oh that's that girl or oh that's that guy you know i have to say like a little side note this was 
the worst acted one of the slumber parties. <laughs> Probably, but almost I felt like they were directed to act that way to a degree, where they were really pouring it on and going big in some takes, and those were the ones that they ended up using, maybe. It didn't bother me. It made me sort of chuckle, and it was a little more endearing, I thought. What I loved about watching it again the second time is it's actually kind of clever. We meet who turns out to be the killer on the beach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The blonde guy, Ken. Side note, such a great name, because he looks like, he's got the vibe of, like, Barbie's Ken, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He looks just like Ken. But we also are introduced to the red herring, who's just creepy kid, right? Like, the creepy boy who just... Well, we never find out. We never get the chance. He's he's strictly there for us to think that that's going to be the killer. And I thought that was kind of funny because how I remarked in the first movie, they showed us the killer immediately, right? And we we're like, yeah. oh, like be on the lookout for that guy. And this time they did show us the killer immediately. It's just misdirection. But I never thought Ken was going to turn out to be the killer either. No. You know what I mean? No. So it was funny in retrospect that Ken was there the whole time. By the way, did you see what the creepy kid was credited as? No. What do they call him? Weirdo on the beach. It's funny because at one time there's the weirdo and then there's the creep next door and then there's like the dork in the basement or something. I don't know. They're all running around in a panic referring to all the boys in like these, uh, in like these, calling them these names and stuff. I was like, oh, that's fucking hilarious. Obviously, you think that's purposeful, right? It's yeah. continuing with our series, uh, train of thought of like kind of marginalizing the men whereas in other horror films they marginalize the women yeah yeah absolutely because i because they're pretty much all cowards in this one too uh for the most part except maybe the one guy who goes to get help with ken and then that sort of reveals that ken reveals he's the killer like that's the only guy who really tries to like be proactive and and the women and and the girls like at the slumber party it's not like like of course they're panicking because who wouldn't but it's not like they're hiding it's not hide and seek really right like i feel like they're trying to find weapons and once ken breaks in and reveals himself like they're for sure like trying to fight back and everything so and and like use their femininity on him at times right like the one girl tries to trick him by like letting him like presumably letting him make out with her and then she was just trying to reach for the drill yeah probably talk about it later the whole like once we know it's ken like that's when the movie really kicks into like high gear before that it's kind of this it's like you said kind of more of the the who done it and the misdirection a lot of the earlier plots is like who's going to bring food or what are they going to cook you know like the one girl gets knocked off on the way to her car, right? And yes. that was interesting because you're like, okay, so someone at that beach is the killer, right? It had to, or at least that's where my mind went. Yeah, yeah. So they come at you like with a kill. You know, it's sort of like the original one in a lot of ways, like except very condensed, super condensed because like we're almost immediately at the slumber party. Yeah, and while it's around the same time, it is, like you said, super condensed. And it has a lot of the hallmarks of the series and I guess of the genre as well because we... We see, you know, like, nudity. You know, we see a lot of that. <laughs> yep. And it's, like, again, like, full-on, like, gratuitous nudity this time. It's not, it's not, I feel like it's not sort of, like, as clever as the first one. I feel like it's sort of in here as, like, more to turn you on this time, which which can be fine, too, you know? And it's not like they're running around topless the whole movie or anything like that. It's more during, like, the slumber party games and stuff like that like i was sitting there watching it going like if i was hanging out with like my guy friends <laughs> like and we were in high school would we like dare each other to strip in front of each other <laughs> and start dancing <laughs> look you know you and i both obviously did not grow up as cisgendered women i don't know what happens at the ladies slumber party i wasn't invited to it obviously however the first one felt like that was plausible nudity as you're saying it wasn't something that was so far-fetched. This one is like, even though written by a woman, directed by a woman, this one felt like it was what men, like teenage boys, imagine that girls do at slumber parties. Like, let's get naked and dance. Yeah, I think some <laughs> of that irony was lost, right? Like, if I recall, I don't even think there was any nudity in the second one. We're going to talk about that on our episode. It fails to deliver on that promise of the smutty kind of B-horror film. This one does not fail to deliver on that. I just want to go back quickly to just the idea of satire. Yeah. If this does happen to be a satire, maybe it is lost, but it also could be one of those things. 
I know you guys out there probably think of the Stephen Colbert of today, where he's just a talk show host. But Mike, remember when he was like the Comedy Central talk show host? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. The Colbert Report? Exactly. The Colbert Report character. That character was popular among conservatives and liberals. And liberals saw it as a straight satire, like he's having fun. And conservatives kind of saw it as like kind of poking fun at themselves, but also making some accurate points. That's why satire could be fun for both genres. Maybe you and I not growing up as cisgendered women, like maybe we're not seeing it. I'd love to have a woman's perspective on this kind of thing. That's great and totally fair, right? Because just imagine how many dumb jokes that they're left out on, right? Like, how many movies are just packed with in-jokes for boys and men and shit? And, like, you know, as a guy, like, it's, like, enough already. We get it. Um, And, like, I can only imagine how annoying that gets, you know? So I I kind of come across these moments and I'm like, oh, this is great because, like, who would have thought that Slumber Party Massacre series is, like, actually trying to challenge me, right? And, like, that's part of why I love them so much and, like, the allure of, of these films for me is like you just find things in the most unexpected places if you give them a shot like if you climb that mountain i feel like it's worth it you don't have to free climb it or anything like that without ropes and stuff like watch it with a buddy or a friend like i'm doing with brian here <laughs> but there's more merit than i was expecting behind these walls again we could just be like giving it too much credit who knows but maybe we are maybe we're not if we see it this way why not express it right like this is how we're viewing the movies and i like to imagine that this is one of the ways they want it to be seen right is by guys who are like oh shit like there's a lot going on here and i wish that a lot more was going on in movies like this for the last 30 years or whatever (laughs) and yeah the other podcast we can do for you listeners out there is just like completely being cynical and saying this movie sucks and ending in five minutes but you know it's fun to try to explore what you know they the story that they might have been telling i wrote in my notes though and sometimes the satire reminded me of the quality of porn if that makes sense yeah (laughs) i can see that i can see that because i don't know it's almost like a soap opera kind of style yeah that that's true too soap opera e yeah yeah and and like in wrestling right and like i think that the reason that stuff works that style of acting works is because sometimes it reminds you you're watching a play or a movie or a show right and that you're not supposed to really be taking this seriously but yet you're getting enough to engage with a storyline or a character or you know a situation just enough for you to like care a little bit you know and i think that this movie does that in that way you know is that because there's nothing deep about any of the actual characters here everybody is rather one-dimensional and that's okay in a movie like this because they're pretty much just being lined up to get you know mowed down in the end and stuff so as long as their actions are cool and strong and they're doing like interesting things like i'm fine with that but for the most part like you said can't even really catch everybody's name and tell everybody apart necessarily as far as like attitude or personality but that's fine like the rest of the stuff is working we could sit around and comment on like how terrible that is and how that takes you out of the movie and stuff but you know sometimes it's nice not to have to especially in a horror movie where you and, and especially when we're at part three like we know what we're here for we don't need like a lot of setup yeah there's a language to these i keep talking about that and i must sound like a broken record but it's true you mentioned the wrestling thing again and if you know the language of horror films then you don't need everything you need in other films and i think again especially put it this way a little backtrack a little bit i don't think anyone you said not many people get to slumber party part three here but i don't think almost anyone just grabs a slumber party massacre three as the first one they see in this series you know you're probably watching this because you've seen the others i think it'd be very very rare if you pick this one as the first one so by this point you kind of know what you're in for and if you don't get that because the tone's different fine but it's not like we're not suddenly watching a straight comedy or a straight drama here you kind of know what you're getting especially you know we have the common weapon as the drill and stuff you know you're going to get some kind of gore again if like wrestling like soap operas if you know the language of it then your eyes and ears are a little bit different in interpreting it the only thing different here really between the three of them is like the style but i feel like the tones all generally the same here you know they all fall definitely within the same realm of that like sort of horror comedy zone for some reason it's it's drawing me back to wrestling like yesterday i was watching some wrestling some wwe monday night raw and they had 
a gender reveal surprise party hosted by a tag team called the Street Profits. That means nothing to most of you, but me knowing the wrestling language, it was hilarious, you know? But I bet if someone just dipped in and just watched it, they'd be like, this is the worst acting in the world. And I don't think you can watch a part three of a B-level horror series and expect the top level acting or even want it you know like I, who, yeah. the, who the hell wants that i think that's like a better point maybe especially since this series didn't set itself up to be serious like you know it, it's kind of what's interesting about like those bigger franchises is at some point they have to pivot right they have to make a turn you know they realized oh freddy's kind of funny like he'll joke around like he can quip while he kills and that kind of thing uh with like friday the 13th they really sort of got a grip on okay if we make jason like more supernatural and he's more of like this haunting stalking thing like you know so things kind of get tweaked along the way a little bit here and there so it's nice that this series sort of keeps it consistent oh yeah and look i mean honestly i don't think this is the greatest movie in the world but whenever we sit down and start talking about it i start to see more of the merit in at least at the very least what they were going for so do you want to get into some deleted moments sure (laughs) we were just talking about the beginning at the beach and they've probably omitted like five minutes of conversation between the girls at the beach here. I think Jackie, whose house they're going to, she talks a lot about the boy she likes. She talks about how, like, her parents, uh, she goes way more in-depth on, like, her mom's job and stuff. It's just kind of crazy when I was watching the theatrical cut, like, where the jumps were (laughs) and where the edits were. So that, that was really funny. They cut out, basically, there's this whole subplot with the police officers in this movie all right so like at one point she calls the cops and they don't believe her and they keep cutting back to the cops going like i think you should believe her and the other cops like get out of here they're just like a bunch of crazy kids and all this so i must have seen the extended version because there were a lot of those cop scenes no but there's like i'm talking there's like a lot there's like (laughs) a lot really there's a there's a lot how long do you know how long the cut you watched was by any chance it's hard to tell because the thing on youtube has both of them smashed together like one starts right after the other and i think the credits might be cut out so it was really hard to tell okay here's here's here might be a a telltale scene at the start of the slumber party okay two girls have a conversation on the back porch that was in mine so i must have saw the extended congratulations you saw the extended then we don't have to go into all the extended scenes honestly i'm kind of pissed off that i saw the extended cut because then that means i took like 10 more minutes (laughs) that i didn't have to do 10 bro like almost 20 more minutes i think yeah so like the extended cut is an hour and a half so you're talking about the conversation that's like really poorly acted and they're just like talking about their lives yeah yeah no and you're like of course this was cut like that's what i'm sitting there going like well i understand why this isn't in the uh, okay theatrical version wow i can't believe you saw all that stuff with the cops and everything and like there's just well it wasn't different to me because it wasn't like remastered you know so it just looked like one continuous thing i still have questions but i guess it made so much more sense i just don't have any more answers for you i guess is the problem (laughs) like i thought i was gonna and fill in some gaps with these scenes and everything but i get why they cut some of them out because like there were too many of those cop scenes there wasn't really a payoff with it was there no they never showed up they never showed up in the end of the damn movie it ends before the cops get there i'm not even kidding and then there's like the weirdo neighbor who calls the cops at the end and they finally believe him because he's a man like that's really you know i'm saying like that's the comment with that it's like the cops will not help you unless you're like a guy and and they didn't even show up and the guy never came over to help them out no and that's why i thought i had the shorter version because there was so many things that weren't paid off can you only imagine what else is left out it it is funny that like you and i have unsuccessfully but you and i have dabbled in the screenwriting trade and i i feel like things Ideas are always expanded longer when you're thinking about them, and your movie's never going to be as long as you write them. That's why they actually do tell you to write long, because it, some stuff will get cut. I just imagine, like, the screenwriter sitting there on her, I guess at the time, typewriter or something, imagining all these long arcs for all these extra characters, and they end up just shooting some of it. And I, I know we haven't touched on the Roger Corman aspect on your show today. Just side note. So a lot of this is filmed in Roger Corman's actual home, apparently. No way! Yeah, that's, oh, what a great, that's what what a I great read. piece of trivia. 
Yeah, which is great, but it also makes me think of my days student filming, and I'm sure you experienced this as well. A lot of times you shoot, like, in order, and theoretically, if you couldn't get to something, you might just cut that part out, you know? And I'm guessing that's what happened here, like, the resolutions with the cop and the neighbor. You think Roger Corman came home early that night (laughs) and was like... I gotta get to bed, come back tomorrow. Would it shock you? Because, like, look, no. this is the Slumber Party Massacre 3. It's not gonna hinge on a lot of stuff in this film. It's mostly going to get rented from people who rented Slumber Party Massacre 1 and Slumber Party Massacre 2. That's all that really matters here. So, if they don't have the budget to do a couple more scenes for this resolution, no one's probably gonna notice or care except us two dorks talking about it right now. <laughs> many, exactly. many years later. Right, and no one was ever meant to analyze this movie in, I feel like the way that we're doing this whole scene. Like, this was never meant to be talked about this much. What you're saying there, though, about Corman and stuff and, like, you know, student films and this and that, like, that was his vibe. Like, that was the spirit. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, a lot of his, uh, movies he produced were shot in that house. You know what I'm saying? Or just, like, the, the amount of things that were reused like not just like actors but like you know locations and stuff like that because it was we were mentioning you know we mentioned on your show before on high school slumber party it's it's a very grassroots production it was all about just get the shot steal the shot if you have to steal like you know permits what's a fucking permit like that was (laughs) basically their motto over there it was like if you can't steal it then it's not in your movie so just you know shoot when and where you can and get what you got. Yeah, at this point, I think just for you distribution nerds out there, his company was called New Concord. His The company name switched a lot, but I think the uh, from what I gather here, from what I've seen and from what you told me, the spirit remained the same, despite whatever it was called. He's still alive, producing movies that go directly to the sci-fi channel. Like, the spirit, like, he's still doing the same thing. And it's just, like, the medium's changed a little bit. Like, the drive-ins, unfortunately, and the grindhouses, like, are very few and far between these days. So everything is just going straight to video or right to cable television and stuff like, you know, sci-fi and Shudder and, and those kinds of things. But it's basically the same spirit, you know? It's just a different age. That's That's kind of amazing. I didn't realize he was still doing things today. I mean, he's 93 years old, but you're right. Like, 2018, he was an executive producer on Death Raced Beyond Anarchy. If I'm not mistaken, they've been trying to make a movie about his life for a few years now, for at least, like, five or six years. I've been hearing about that online in the ether, and, like, Mm. when you see interviews with Corman and stuff and the way he talks, he almost kind of reminds me of our friend uh, Larson, the co-host of the Legendary (laughs) Monkey Club, in a bit, just in the way that he can sort of riff off on movies and the way that he, you know, his love of talking about film and and production and stuff like that. But Yeah, and that's another shout-out to Christian Larson, and it reminds me, because he was on your Starship Troopers 3 episode. He's a he's a big Starship Troopers guy. And as I'm clicking through Corman's recent films, Starship Troopers lead, Casper Van Dien, stars in a lot of his newer films, including a film I'm reading about now, Sharktopus versus Werewolf. Werewolf. So it's a shark mixed with an octopus versus a whale mixed with a wolf. I've seen the first Sharktopus kind of fun. It came out, that was like really? pre-Sharknado. Yeah, it was really interesting. It was back when they were, a lot of those movies starred like Debbie Gibson and Tiffany and like <laughs> X, X-80s pop stars. So Sharktopus, I just clicked it now, stars Eric Roberts. Yes, he's the big draw there. Eric Roberts from The Dark Knight. <laughs> and Julia Roberts' brother. You know, acclaimed act, Star 80, if I'm not mistaken, too. Like, acclaimed actor. What else is he in? The Pope of Greenwich Village? The Pope they of Greenwich took Village, my thumbs. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah. Uh, so, did you know, Mike Manzi, Corman fact here, that the sequel to Sharktopus, Sharktopus versus Terracuda? Oh, okay. I get it. <laughs> Pterodactyl mixed with a Barracuda. Sharktopus versus Terracuda starred Robert Carradine and Conan O'Brien. I've never seen that one. You go down the Corman rabbit hole, and that is the rabbit hole of rabbit holes, I think it's fair to say. So, Mike, I don't know the pull you have. I hope okay. it, I hope it's good because you, you helped found this network, but I don't know the pull you have with the godfather himself, Joey Lewandowski. But if there was ever a Cinemaker's Roger Corman producer... Oh, God. <laughs> It would go on forever, and it would be very, very interesting, and I don't think anyone would sign up for it, but it would be the most glorious thing to ever exist in the ether of podcasting existence. You know what would be very interesting is to go through sort of the stable of Corman directors throughout the years and see 
everybody who came out of there made like their first film out of there and who went on to be prestigious you know like Ron Howard made a bunch of car crash films for Roger Corman because he was like hey Ron like why don't you try directing here's a movie and that kicked off his career and you know Scorsese and everybody got to sort of like play in Roger Corman's sandbox at one point and most of them you know Jonathan Demme made a woman in prison film for him went on to do Silence of the Lambs you know like it's just crazy the pedigree so there's there is a show in there somewhere you know like first films of Corman directors or something like that no yeah no there is something there I think you're right and if you and I both continue our respective shows which of course I plan to and I hope you do as well because Third Time's a Charm is an awesome place I'm sure we'll revisit Roger Corman again because I know he's produced some high school films and he certainly has produced some third films of the franchise that's for sure well, you know, one we've yet to get on your show that I've been waiting and waiting for, Rock and Roll High School, yes. is, uh, is a big, big one when it comes to Corman and just, you know, the way that I think around that time that movie came out, like he really, people were really sort of like, he was he was a name, like he was in the zeitgeist, like he was, you know, a known sort of producer there and there at that time. So it was like kind of a heyday, I guess, uh, for Roger Corman back then. Can't wait for that one. What a rabbit hole we've gone down, but it was worth it. So I guess back to the uh, Slumber yeah. Party Massacre 3. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we get another death of the pizza person. And I say pizza person because we get a pizza girl this time. Yeah. Mike, in this series, we get a lot of um, women who in other horror films and other films are usually played by men because in the first one we got like a women telephone line person. Yeah. What do they call those? Do, uh just the telephone person, I guess. Yeah, right? I guess. Yeah, the phone company. And we're not talking about like an operator. We're talking about like someone who no, like, like, runs the lines and stuff. Yeah, climbing the poles and everything. Yeah. And, and well, that sounded dirty. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not the intention. We've hardly talked about the drill in this one and, and the phallicness of that. But, uh, oh, man, it goes in and out so much in this one. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, it does. So the pizza delivery person, we usually see this in films depicted by a guy i mean i like how the women producers here for these like small roles we'll call them supporting roles they'll usually you know most producers usually i mean from what we've seen hire a man but at least they're giving like some women opportunities here in these small roles to get on camera yeah and i know for a fact from real life that women deliver pizzas you know but if i was only to watch movies you'd never know that like, it's not just, like, horror movies and stuff, but, like, every movie just seems like it's Pizza Guy. Like, this was so... just I just had, like, a oh-duh moment when it, when, it, when it was the Pizza Girl. I was like, that's so great. Like, it's such a small thing, maybe, but it speaks volumes. The one boy is trying to sneak into the slumber party, so he wants to switch shirts with the pizza girl so he's the pizza man now and he's gonna bring the pizza and he's like but turn around and don't watch me i'm gonna get topless (laughs) they also twisted it into like a punchline too at the guy's expense so just well played with that and then they both end up dying so you get double pizza death in this like she gets drilled and then later the kid opens the door wearing the pizza shirt and the driller gets him too so technically two pizza killer deaths here (laughs) yeah and again like we have a we have a lot of pizza on this series for foodie films Ooh. Kyle Kyle Reinfried would be happy with all these more to cut yes there's more to cut with this film perhaps well we saw it because they did cut a lot from the... <laughs> I know. That's apparently. so funny that you saw the extended version. <laughs> oh, I love that. Like, I'll lend you the Blu-ray because, like, just if you have any curiosity whatsoever, and it's so short that it's, like, worth a laugh, is just to see how the, how far down they cut this movie. It barely plays. Like, I was, I was amazed, like, it got released afterwards. Like, I couldn't believe, like, you need a little more than what they say in the... Like, that's what I'd say. You need a little more than what they give you in the theatrical and a little less of what we're given in the extended (laughs) isn't it funny like how often does that happen in films where like we get an extended cut and you're like could we get like between these two things oh that's so funny you say that because that's like exactly what coppola just did with the new like apocalypse you're right yeah i can't wait to see that he's like the theatrical cuts too short the uh extended cuts too long this one's just right it's like fucking three bears theory are we gonna get a dvd of that one or like a blu-ray of that one because i know it was released in theaters yeah it's it's at your local best buy now okay great pretty reasonable price 
No, I mean, that's one of my favorite films, and I've definitely wanted too. something that was between those two cuts. And look, I love that Redux cut, like, but I get it, how that's not a digestible film, you know? Yeah, and I'm definitely interested to watch this new cut, for sure. So I only have like one or two other really big moments that I thought were pretty cool in this movie. So, you know, you always hear when you're a kid that you don't want to like, when you're taking a bath, you don't want to like, you know, have anything plugged in near your bathtub while you're in there. But in this movie, a girl takes a shower and then someone drops a vibrator in the shower and it electrocutes her to death. And I'm pretty sure there's something that's not right about that with science and something. That's not possible. I mean, I don't know if it's not possible. I don't want to say that, but... Because unless I'm missing something, the, the vibrator runs on batteries. Plus, why didn't the killer, like, do something more creative with that, like, stab her in the head with it, or I don't know, or, or kill a guy with it? That would have been more interesting. Like, kill a guy with the vibrator. Yeah, no, not not one of the highlights of this film, that's for sure. But for, I thought one of the highlights were, aside from, like, the, the end, which I thought it just was a great sort of bloody climax at the end, um, I liked when the girls were in the basement sort of looking for weapons and trying to escape out of the window. He, like, comes down, and one girl grabs like a spear gun yes that was in my notes to talk about that what is that a harpoon i don't understand yeah one girl mentions earlier that the dad is like a fisherman and has some big crazy thing in the basement like let's go check it out and everything and then later you see like a fucking harpoon gun there's another good setup with the bleach too where like they spill something and they're looking for something to get it out and she's like how about this bleach and they're like be careful you don't like get it in your eyes or something and later they (laughs) splash the killer with the bleach in his eyes yeah that was set up that that was interesting i you know i knew they had a harpoon but i totally forgot about the whole fisherman talk thing so you reminding me of that it's like oh okay that's why it was there because i was gonna ask like what the hell are they doing with a harpoon gun so here's what's kind of interesting about that theatrical cuz that's when i picked it up when things were moving at a breakneck speed Uh... and they're only the dialogue i guess that's what they did they only left in the essential dialogue but then they left in all the bullshit where it's like you know in the opening after the like 10 minute volleyball game uh they like there's like a pepsi commercial where they're like driving in a car for three minutes and it's yes. like they're not saying a word like they left all that stuff in <laughs> yeah no okay so then we like again i know it's confirmed but we definitely saw that extended cut because that was another thing in my notes like we're in this car for a while like it feels like <laughs> all right we get it it's 1990 and it's fun because you know it adds to the atmosphere of the tone that they're trying to establish like okay this this, this can't be for real like they're not trying to scare us like anything that comes later in this movie is going to be taken for laughs and and sure enough even when the killer kills people without his drill i'm not even getting upset because you know he takes a for sale sign and stabs a guy through the stomach with it you know like that's fine i'm good with that and the guy is just left there with the sign coming out of him at least it was phallic in nature right like at least it was a stabbing (laughs) you know at least he stuck to that part of his mo (laughs) You know, since we've, like, moved towards it, the whole Ken thing is... It's very interesting, because he is, like, a scary man. It's almost like... He's more of, like, an American psycho kind of killer. Yes, great call. I did find that, like, really interesting, because, like... I know I just said this, but it's he's a very 1990 killer. I think, like, Wall Street... I know that's not 1990, but, you know, like, close, like... I, I feel like preppy, preppy, yes, like preppy. Jocko kind of thing, right? Like uh, as Larson likes to say, the snobs and the slobs. Like he's a yes. total snob, right? <laughs> perfect. No, perfect. It's so true. And that's, I don't know, I think they're going into their senior year. This is the summer before their senior year. So they're still high school kids. So like that, all those dynamics apply. Like one of the boys anyway is like a real sort of punker. Like he's got the leather jacket and the ripped blue jeans and, you know, kind of dresses like my five dads. <laughs> and then uh, the other kids like just seem pretty normal. Like there's there's one black friend and there's the like i guess there's like the one sort of more overweight white guy too but like it's funny how there's more variety in the guys and there is in the girls a little bit but i think that might be so that ken the killer stands out more in the end right is to yeah. say like oh that's the guy you got to look out for like the other guys like they would have been fine to let into the party like they're harmless they're nicey boys but ken is like a psychopath basically <laughs> and apparently he was the star polo player which I kind of forgot on the first watch, but when I was just doing, like, my light rewatch, when they're doing that whole, like, Marco Polo thing. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. That's like kind of like just trying like a callback to that, which is like so silly. Look, he is a scary guy. Like, I'm not going to lie. Once he's got that drill and he's like crazed like that. But I have to ask you, like, maybe you caught this and I didn't. What was the whole uncle thing? Oh, so, okay. So I, I don't really know if this is the connection, but I think his uncle was the killer from the first movie. <laughs> That's what I did to myself in my mind. Oh, I was like, because, you know, when you listen to part two of the series, one of the girls from the first movie is supposed to be the main character of the second movie, right? One of the survivors. Um, I think we'll hash it up. But I think it's the sister of the the next door neighbor, the sister grown up a little bit. But in my mind, I was trying to connect this somehow to the first movie or to the whole series. So I was like, oh, maybe his uncle is the killer from the first movie. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I was curious about that. That. I'm trying to see. The thing is, the killer was named, I wrote his name down and I can't, oh, Russ Thorne. So his name wasn't Uncle Billy, but that would, <laughs> you know, that would make more sense what you're saying. Was he an uncle to any of the other characters? Like, do, I, I, I'm not sure, like, because they all seem to like kind of, well, a couple of them kind of like reference him and like know him a little bit, but. No, from what I understand, I think it's just, maybe it's a missing a missing backstory because he's obsessed with that photo and his uncle and he mentions his uncle and at the end he even hallucinates he sees his uncle it's just it's never explained at all whatsoever so did his uncle rape him like is that what's implied i don't know i'm not i don't know i'm not sure somehow his uncle taught him to hate and want to kill his teenage friends or something you know because it's not that he's just hates and kills women he hates and kills the the guys too right like he's very sort of across the board he's just killing everybody i i just feel like in the first movie he was targeting the the women more specifically and in this movie it's just sort of like open season yeah what the series doesn't do a great job of even like in the better moments of it is establishing like clear motive for the killers i mean the second one again it's like a fantasy sort of so so that one <laughs> right yeah that's like not really motive because it doesn't really exist the first one is just his motive and again i love that killer but it's just that he's deranged and in this one his motivation i suppose is that his uncle somehow harmed him but it doesn't really tie in unless i'm missing something to why he's killing this particular subset of people yeah yeah there's definitely i would like a little more here it's a little frustrating like it's not unheard of you know for just to never know why he you know he just snapped like oh why well i don't know sometimes people just lose it you know like falling down or something like one day michael douglas just wants his fucking mcdonald's breakfast or whatever it was but it's it's past the like the time they serve it i don't remember this but side note if kyle has not included that in his foodie film scenes that is a foodie scene a great foodie scene to talk about (laughs) but yeah i would have liked a little more maybe motivation from the killer and one thing i think you know they do so much in this to misdirect you it's like oh is it the neighbor is it the creepy boy is it this is it that like i would have kind of liked it to have found out it was ken before a little before everyone else and i agree and they don't but they do something i think it's my favorite part of the movie what comes up is like ken and the other guy go for help and he's like hey let's stop by this he first he starts limping and he's like ah my knee hurts we have to walk and the guy's like oh that's cool like i'll walk with you and then he's like hey here's a lumber yard maybe there's more weapons like instead of this fire poker maybe we could find some weapons in there so they go in there and look around and ken's like all right, I know it's you. I know you're the killer. And he's like, what are you talking about, man? And he's like, all this stuff. He's got like all this evidence against him. And then they start like battling and Ken like cuts the guy's like feet off, right? And leaves him for dead. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, I'm like, Ken is snapped, but he thinks everyone else is the killer. He thinks he's protecting people. And then he comes back to the house and he is the killer. So there was a bit of a jump there that my brain needed to catch up on. And I just wish that little like revealery was a little bit cleaner for me because it's a great reveal. Like the idea that it's Ken, I like that. I just wish we sort of knew that uh, or could piece it together a little sooner. Yeah, it was odd though because if he was just going to kill him or leave him for dead, why did he have to te- like make up that whole story that he wasn't? That's where the disconnect was for sure. You know, I mean, this movie is doing the best it can, and it's doing really well with what it's got. But, like, it's it's funny to find a moment like that that I was like, wow, this could have been a, this could have genuinely been, like, a really great moment. I'm like, it's still really fun and everything, and I love the sort of sidetrack they go on and everything. But it, it also felt like a little flub. It was like, ooh, they just, they just 
you know, missed that particular landing right there. But it's still fun once he once he's out in the open and it becomes like chase around the house. And I really like that stuff. Yeah, it was it was definitely the best part of this film in terms of him running around and trying like just you know your classic slasher stuff. And I mean, I enjoyed it, and it was it was cool to see this guy as the bad guy, just your like white collar snob as the bad guy. I, I mean, I don't. I almost wish they leaned into it even a little bit more. Yeah, that's why I wish we got a little more of his backstory, right? Like, a little more than just the uncle kind of thing. Like, even if it was between conversations between the other characters, because that's how we really get to know him is like, oh, who's that? Oh, he was like a polo player, whatever. Or like, you know, that's this guy. And and it seems like everyone's talking about him. So it would have been great if someone was like, didn't you hear, like... His parents were brutally murdered and his uncle raised them, but people might have thought his uncle killed his parents. You know what I'm saying? Like, if it was something like that, and it was like, oh, I don't know if one of them is like, I don't know if you should mess with that guy or whatever. And you're like, ah, whatever, he's harmless. So, like, that could have been an interesting way to, like, reveal. That's always sort of an interesting way to reveal a character is, like, with other characters talking about him, because you never know if it's true or not, right? Because they're not that person. They're explaining another person. So you have, like, these conceptions about them when they show up that may not even be true so i don't know they could have just played with that a little more yeah no for sure anything you want to mention that we haven't gotten to yet brian that jumps out at you for the slumber party massacre part three so we've seen this in the previous film slumber party massacre two i didn't check it for one but it does feature a playboy playmate um, oh really? The first movie featured a Playgirl magazine. Oh yeah, Mr. Stallone on the cover. Very true. I'm not sure who she plays in it because she really doesn't look like her playmate. Maybe you'll help me identify. But she was on the cover of Playboy in 1985 July oh, that, edition. Yeah, that looks like a pretty iconic cover. Her name is. Oh Brian, this is a big this is a big issue. Jamie Lee Curtis, 20 questions about body and soul. Grace Jones gets it on. Rob wow. Reiner interview. Meathead scores in Hollywood. <laughs> Very much up her alley, this issue, yeah. <laughs> so her name is Hope Marie Carlton, and she plays Janine in this film. Okay. I don't remember their names. I'll try to find it quickly, but Janine... I know it was Jackie's house. I knew that much. And she was one of the, I think, three blonde girls that was in this movie. But uh, yeah, it was a tough one. They don't really say each other's names that much in this. And I mean, that's kind of standard for most B-level horror. I feel. I also feel like half the Friday the 13th movies, I don't catch all the names of yeah, all the characters. Yeah, I know. That, that's you know? very like, horror. That's another thing about horror is like, there's just always going to be too many characters because there needs to be a body count. You exactly, know? Like, body count. Did you catch the body count on this one? Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, hold on. Let me try and do the math in my head. Try to do the math, guess your number, and I'll tell you if you're right or wrong. So let's see. All right, I'm going with eight. Ooh, it's actually actually much more. The body count is 12, according to IMDb. Whoa. This is what it says. Sarah, Beach Weirdo, Michael, Pizza Girl, Juliet, Duncan, Frank, Tom, Janine. So I looked it up. Janine's one of the blonde girls. Maria... Diane, and then Ken. Oh, my God. <laughs> Almost everybody. So only two of them survived. Yes. <laughs> so, wow. So one more than the first Lumber Party massacre, and it's debatable how many people died in the second Yeah, one, it's, we'll it's to hard that. to say that second one, what the hell is actually going on. <laughs> like, it's so, it's like, I've never really seen any movie kind of like that before. It's <laughs> going to be a good show. Okay, so this is interesting. I wrote some of the IMDb notes down. We might as well talk about them, because... Yeah, let's get some trivia and wrap it up. Okay, so the character named Maria, I don't remember, no if you remember which one that is because i really don't so the director was not happy with how this ended up in the film but her death scene was mandated by roger corman he wanted it change and apparently maria's death is what causes a lot of the continuity issues in this film the change in maria's death for example when maria is attacked the three other girls rush to aid her but presumably just stand there and watch her being molested and murdered while doing nothing. Oh, so Maria's the oh, girl. Yes. Yeah. So, so Maria's okay. the kind of rape one. And yes. that is true. Like, they're all trying to save her, and then we get, like, a pause. Yeah, I even <laughs> said out loud, why didn't anyone hit him over the head with something? Yeah. So now I get it. As I read it out loud, I get it. 
So, for better or worse, this was a Corman mandate. Originally, according to this note, that she was supposed to just die right there, and they weren't able to save her. But Corman mandated that they do this kind of, like, sexy... I mean, I'm using sexy in parentheses, you know, like... Creepy. Yeah, creepy, rapey scene. And, again, the director, who, who was a woman, or is a woman, presumably, she did not approve of this, but this was a Corman mandate, and... Now that we read it out loud, I, I get, like, oh, okay, yeah, there is some issues with that, for sure. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I chalked it up to, you know, just just it being a bad movie, like, when it got to that point, like, oh, we're just running out of sort of creative deaths, and, like, I, I, I don't know why he'd want it to go on for so long, but I could kind of understand you know, what he's getting at, where in the, I don't know what the original death was, but at least this one has some kind of, like, psychological connotation to it, you know what I'm saying? And there's they're they're trying to work something out with this death scene that isn't working whatsoever but she's you know like i think i mentioned before like she's trying to use the fact that she is a woman and that he wants her to her advantage to get the weapon away from him but ultimately doesn't end up working and i think that maybe roger corman's wires were a little crossed and trying to make a point about something you know and just on that day was just not having it or something i mean that just happens you know sometimes you pull rank and seniority and it's your movie and your money so you have to you get to do what you gotta do but i did have an issue with that and i was glad to see that you know i'd say 80 percent of that is cut out of the theatrical cut oh okay okay that then that makes a little more sense then yeah when i watched the theatrical cut i was like oh here we go with this scene and it's probably the most obvious jump cut out of any of it where it's like even the music doesn't match and like it's a very awkward sort of shot to shot and everything and you're like oh even if you didn't know that something was deleted you'd have a you'd have the sense that they cut something here but that's trimmed super way down for the theatrical mm. cut okay yeah and so basically this movie ends pretty traditionally for a high school for, for a high school slumber party movie pretty, <laughs> pretty traditionally for a slumber party massacre movie and um i think what ends up happening like with the first one and this one the the host of the party ends up killing the killer um and it this is pretty interesting because it's like a fake out i thought mm -hmm. that was cool they they re, they bring the fake out back and they wrap him up in the net after they harpoon him but he comes back he, he falls on the drill right like that's what ends up happening in this one is he he lunges for the girl and she's got the drill in her hand and, and he gets all drilled up in the guts and stuff essentially he ends up fucking himself yes <laughs> but man bodies just start hitting that floor so hard at the 30 minute mark it's it's really quite something the last act of this movie like it really kicks into high gear and i i really think that they pull it off in the end you know they they end it what do they say if you can you know give them an ending that's all they remember is that the saying i don't know but like <laughs> but like after this movie all i really remembered was wow like they got me in the end like it was a big brutal bloody massacre for sure the whole series, well, I don't want to say the whole series, but at least this film lives up to its name in terms of it's a massacre that happens at a slumber party. <laughs> oh, boy. And what better way to end it on that note? <laughs> I love it. That sums it up so perfectly. Well, Brian, this has been quite a journey once again, and uh, I love doing this kind of stuff, these crossovers and everything. I can't wait to the next one. But before we get there, can you tell my listeners at least where they can find you out there on the World Wide Web. Well, well, Mike, of course, you can find me on Twitter at High School Slumber Party, Facebook, High School Slumber Party, Instagram, High School Slumber Party. Kind of got the lockdown on all those <laughs> on the, all those mediums, that's for sure. But I think more importantly, um, if you're just a fan of Third Time's a Charm and maybe haven't checked out High School Slumber Party yet, this story, while it's good here and we're kind of going to be probably around the length, maybe even longer, of a Slumber Party Massacre film. <laughs> but if you want to hear two guys just break down this franchise, listen to the two other episodes on High School Slumber Party. One came out last Friday. One comes out tomorrow. And today's is, I think, again, like a great third film on a franchise. You know, really ties everything together and complements the entire thing. And I thank you, Mike, so much for inviting me on and treating me like a true co-host, as always. I always love coming on Third Time's a Charm because it's often films that I haven't seen, and even if I had seen them, it's a good podcast because it helps us revisit the entire franchise, not just a film. Yes. And this was a pleasure. This was an unexpected pleasure, actually, the Slumber Party Massacre franchise. And for all its crappiness you know and it does have a lot of crappy moments and silliness it is 
a fun horror franchise. And my biggest takeaway really is that all these are written and directed by women, and they're a different point of view, especially for the span that we go through from 1982 to 1990. Absolutely. I, I just couldn't agree more with that. That's very well said. So I think that's going to wrap it up tonight. We don't we don't really have any segments here at the end like we do over like you do over on high school slumber <laughs> party. But I just once again I just want to say thank you very much for stopping by. Um, I always love it when you're here. This was a lot of fun, and um, I hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks so much, Mike. That's going to do it for this episode of Third Times a Charm. I gotta thank Brian Late Night Rodriguez for stopping by as always, and be sure to check out our review of Slumber Party Massacre 1 and 2 over on Brian's feed for the whole experience, and spread the word about this franchise and how extremely watchable it is. For all things Third Times a Charm, go to cageclub.me at facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Be sure to check out Brian's show, High School Slumber Party, every Friday. Fridays are for fun, and all the other great shows on our network. Through our website, you can check out our Threadless shop and our Patreon donation tiers. One last note, if you can't get enough of me, head on over to the TomTom Club at cageclub.me, where Joey and I are going through all the movies of Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise and two separate shows under one banner. That's Hanks for the Memories and Cruise Club, alternating every Friday. Fridays are for fun. Until next time, I'm Mike Manzi, and have a great sleepover. That's the magic number. Yes, it is. It's the magic number. Three. 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 Three.